Welcome to the Heroic Soul Podcast. I am your host, Camille Joyce, founder of the Heroic Soul. I believe that when we are willing to commit to ourselves and discover the deepest part of who we are, we can become our own hero. As we do this, we then have the ability to love ourselves and extend that love to our neighbors, ultimately creating a better world. I am excited to share more with you and hope you enjoy today's message. This is episode 11 of season two, No Label Defines Me. I am with life coach and author Nathan Todd. Welcome to my show today. I am Camille Joyce, a life coach, motivational speaker, writer, and all the things. As a life coach, I empower individuals who have been emotionally abused to break free and reclaim their life. As a motivational speaker, I talk on the topics of suicide prevention, emotional abuse, bullying, self-worth, and more. I am also an advocate and ally to the LGBTQ plus community. I am so excited about today's episode. I have Nathan Todd here today. He is a life coach himself and author of Empower Yourself, Awaken the Beast Within. One of Nathan's favorite sayings as a kid was crash and burn because he was born eight weeks premature with cerebral palsy. This meant that Nathan didn't learn to walk until the age of four. And in order for him to even have the potential to walk, Nathan had to have surgery at such a young age. This medical procedure was not covered by insurance, and so his amazing mother advocated to the state government so that he could live the life she knew he deserved to live. His disability would not stop him. The deepest aspect of Nathan inspired him to reach his goals regardless. He had a 504 plan at school, learned to drive using hand controls, graduated college, and started his own business at 34. What really inspired his work today was understanding self-commitment, that by committing himself to the gym and becoming what he has been titled the muscle motivator, he knew in order to change perspectives, people had to see and witness the unexpected. Nathan learned from an early age that everyone is going to fall down and face challenges. What makes the difference is your willingness to get up and walk through the fire. His experiences have given Nathan the ability to guide people through their own fire and help them overcome the challenges they may face in their lives. For nine years, Nathan has coached people with disabilities, and every day he would hear, I can't because blank. He saw people being limited by the label placed on them, usually by society, and he found that it actually started to become their reality. What Nathan also realized was that it wasn't a disability issue people were facing. It was a human issue. In 2019, Nathan began developing the message of no label defines me because what 34 years of life has taught him is often it feels like as human beings we are navigating through society and cultures that aren't designed for people 
as individuals. In order to live a no-label-defines-me life, he believes you must learn to adapt and act. This discovery has brought Nathan to a mission of eradicating loneliness, ultimately empowering self-awareness and advocacy and the ability to become reconnected with oneself. Nathan's message and mission is so aligned with the work that I do with the Heroic Soul. I am so excited for you guys to hear from him today. Hey, Nathan. Hey, Camille. Thank you so much for the gift of your time and for being a guest on my podcast. You are so dang inspiring. (laughs) My favorite word, I tell you what. Inspiring is one of your favorite words. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, so interestingly enough, when you uh, live any amount of time with a disability, That's one of the words you become very familiar with, inspiring. And uh, for a long time, that word actually had a negative connotation for me because it meant uh, anytime I would hear it, I would think, what am I doing that's so inspiring? I'm just living my life. Hmm. And then (laughs) for a long time, that was the story. And then all of a sudden I realized, hey, guess what? You don't have any control over who thinks you're inspiring. Mm. Um, So as long as you are living uh, the life you want and trying to do your best in the world, if people uh, say you're inspiring, just take that to mean you are showing up in the world. Yeah. And that people are seeing your greatness and just how wonderful you are. I mean, that's what I see in you. So inspiring, I feel like, uh, is definitely applicable. Thank you. You're welcome. But you have been on quite a journey. There is so much in your story, uh, that I introduced here from your disability to being able to walk to later pushing yourself at the gym, coaching individuals with disabilities. And now Focusing on eradicating loneliness as a life coach, I know our listeners want to hear more about your perspective on No Label Defines Me and how they can use that to empower them in their own life as it has done that for you. So let's get started. All right. So I want to um, uh, go a little bit more into that saying. Can you tell us about the crash and burn and what that meant to you as a child or even today? So it's funny that you asked this because my mom actually said it uh, the other day. She said, crash and burn. Um, So the origin of it is just from me (laughs) learning to walk. Um, And as they heard in the bio, it took me a long time to learn and walk um, because of my cerebral palsy and it's amazing that it even happened because my mom had to fight tooth and nail for me to even be able to have a surgery for that to even be a possibility but what it meant was I spent a lot of time on the pavement and so I would take a couple steps I would fall down And I'd be like, oh, 
crash and burn, crash and burn. And then I would get up and go at it again. So when I hear that statement, it means that uh, you might be on the ground right now, but it doesn't mean that you have to stay on the ground. It means that you get to get up and you get to move forward again, no matter how far that actually is. Um, it could be a few steps. You could get up and go for a long time. But the point is that you are willing to get up and, and go back at it. Yes. And I love that willing word, willingness, which we'll talk about a little bit more. Um, and what a beautiful story. I absolutely love that. that. You may fall down and you may be there for a minute, but are you going to choose to get up? and uh, do what you need to to move forward. And you are definitely a, a testament of someone who has the ability and willingness to do that. So as far as uh, kind of um, moving forward a little bit more, what pushed you to start going to the gym? <laughs> Turning 30. Uh, <laughs> that That's the uh, ultimate thing. Like I remember... I remember turning 30, but I remember being on the uh, couch and I would come home. I would watch Netflix. I would eat dinner. It was like a cycle, right? And and one day I just was sitting on the couch and I was like, man, I really don't like the way that I feel. I don't like the way that I look right now. Um, and it just so happened that my brother had been going to the gym and he <laughs> he just said, hey, you want to go to the gym with me? Uh, you can go for free on the weekends. They let you try it out. And I was like, yeah, sure. I have uh, nothing to lose there. I'll go give it a shot and see what happens. And I remember the very first time driving home from the gym and my arms were shaking like they were out in front of me on the steering wheel and they were shaking and I remember thinking oh man this was something that that I was missing uh, I was missing going to the gym and having something that I could be competitive in um, it's funny because the very first time that I ever went to a gym, I remember, because uh, my dad was a high school football coach, I remember <laughs> going and trying the lifting weights thing. And if you would have asked that kid the very first time they went into a gym, um, I don't think he would have thought that... I would have been consistent for a three-year period of going to the gym uh, sometimes six days a week. Uh, I just remember after that first time with my dad and my brother being like, huh, I don't think this is for me. And what I can tell you about that is 
when you first try something, it's often going to feel that way that you're like, what in the heck am I doing here? I don't know if this is meant for me. And it's one of the things I like to say to all the clients I, I work with, uh, whether it's uh, they're eradicating loneliness or they've got another goal that they're working on. It's about taking action and then adapting. So you get to commit to showing up knowing that the way that you think it's going to work out, it's probably not going to work out that way, but it means that you get to adapt and move forward. I mean, I didn't even start with anything in mind of shifting the perspective of people with disabilities. I was just shifting my own perspective at first. And then I realized uh, people would come up to me and uh, ask me about stuff at the gym. And I realized that there was a lot of power in going to the gym because it was shifting the perspective of other people because they've never seen anybody like me do what I was doing. Um, and that kind of drove me to be as consistent as I was because I knew that somebody could see that and it could open up possibilities for them that they didn't think were possible at the time. Sure. So what were their behaviors or did they say, give you feedback or anything that indicated that their perspective was changing? <laughs> well, I remember one time very early on, I was in the middle of the gym in an open area uh, doing farmer walks, which is you carry the weights by your side and you just uh, walk for a period of time. And <laughs> this girl came up to me and she's like, hey, can I video you? Uh, and she got me on video for all of her friends and all of her followers. And she was like, uh, what's your excuse to the people that were watching. Um, so I remember that very vividly. And then I remember one of the guys who had been going to the gym for a long, long time, he came up to me and he said, and I just want to tell you that you're one of the most consistent people that I know. Um, there's plenty of people in here that are, doing competitive bodybuilding and that are um, have the potential to do more and they're not showing up in the way that you're showing up. So those are two stories that I absolutely remember. But my favorite story was having the ability to um, bring a young man into the gym who also had a cerebral palsy. <laughs> and it, it was interesting because one of the things that got me to go to this particular gym along with my brother was the fact that he said, hey, I think this trainer has got cerebral palsy at the gym. 
because you you live with it long enough you you can notice when other people uh, probably have a, a similar disability and I was like huh that's interesting that he's a he's a trainer and I remember going and saying hey can I work out with this guy and they're like no that's not possible at the moment he's booked out he was the most booked trainer I believe at the time that I was trying to get to work with him but later on he did become my trainer and so it was very rewarding to be able to bring a young kid who was in high school into the gym and see one guy with cerebral palsy working out and another guy with cerebral palsy being the trainer. Wow, those are amazing stories. Yeah, that's probably the, the best thing that's ever happened. And then I, I met the very first kid I ever worked with when I started. Because I did. I started as the muscle motivator. <laughs> and interestingly enough, people were coming to me. Um, a guy showed his friend who had cerebral palsy my video and lo and behold i started a conversation with that kid not knowing it was the same kid Mm. and i remember we worked together for a month and i remember him telling me that his dad cried when he did something when he did an exercise that he didn't believe was possible for his son to do wow That just gave me chills hearing the story. So beautiful, Nathan. Again, just so inspiring. Look at the lives that you have changed and uh, and have impacted uh, just by you getting up and doing. Um, So you talk about the muscle motivator, and I wanted to ask you a little bit more about how that transpired. Did somebody uh, say that that's what you were? Like, where did that come from? How did it even start? (laughs) Yeah, so... It actually started um, because of I went to a, a youth leadership forum at Columbia College, and I was one of the adult leaders there. And I just happened to be standing at a podium, and my friend Jason said, hey, there's the muscle motivator. Uh, when I was standing at the podium and I was like, huh, that's got a ring to it. And I kind of, since one of my things is labels, that's a label that I was like, huh, that's, that's something I can identify with. That's something that empowers me. And I mean, the only thing that that I wanted to like change if I was going back and not talking about the muscle motivator would be the fact that I want to impact on a deeper level than just working out. Uh, But that's how it got started. And it's honestly the very first time that my buddy showed me the logo he created for that. I was like, that's, that's awesome because he took a picture of me and the work that I had done in the gym 
the transformation I had made and he turned it into what would uh, be, because I know you're in the superheroes, that would probably have been what would have been on my chest if I was wearing a superhero outfit. Uh, yeah, well, you look amazing. And it is amazing logo. And we need to get you a shirt with it on there. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we've got that. So we can drop that for anybody else to pick that up. <laughs> oh, good. I love that. I love it. Well, I want to um, kind of shift a little bit. Thank you for sharing more about the Muscle Motivator because uh, it is definitely uh, helping our listeners understand the process that you've been through and what has mm -hmm. led up to uh, what you are doing today. So uh, let me go into asking you uh, the difference between willingness and ability. What do you believe is the difference between those two? Oh, yeah. So you and I talked about this earlier, and I, th I think you hit it on the head. But I think that when you say willingness, the willingness means that you are making a choice. You are actively choosing to take action towards something. Yes. And what's kind of fun to me about that is I believe that we all have different sort of levels of ability, right? Mm -hmm. And so you already have an ability of a thing or to do something. It's just, like you said, the choice, choosing to act on that ability that you have and it can get strengthened. And you are, I mean, just literally an example of that strengthening the ability you had, but your willingness to choose to do it. Um, and then it transpired from there. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about that is at first that willingness gets challenged really, really hard anytime you're doing something brand new because as a human being, we don't like to suck at stuff and we don't like to feel like we're not enough and that we're not good or that by doing something, we make ourselves wrong. And I think that you have to have the willingness. If it's something you really, really want, you have to have the willingness to suck. And you have to know that it's the effort over time that's going to ultimately get you the best results. Because I, I won't even say the result that you want, because I think that's a trap. I think focusing on all these results, like in what you want in the future, is a trap for disappointment. But if you say, I don't know what the result is actually going to be, and being okay with that, uh, it'll be more powerful for you. Well, I've always liked the idea of having a plan. You have an idea of mm -hmm. the result or an idea of what you're trying to achieve, but just trusting the process and the outcome. And that mm -hmm. is what is hard. And it's interesting when you were saying that, um, and I just completely forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and that's real life, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, oh, um, I was going to say, what defines uh, what sucks, right? <laughs> you do, yeah. Right. So that's what I think is interesting about that is what if you're not sucking at what it is that you're doing? What if you're, what you're doing is right? 
mm-hmm. which goes into what we were going to talk about more about, you know, the, the no label defines me and these uh, society and cultural ideas of what sucks, what doesn't suck, what determines or what defines whether you're doing good or not, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to take us into a whole nother episode. <laughs> See, and and the thing about that, I mean, at the simplest level is, like, people always say, when I'm wearing my No Label Defines Me shirt, or my buddy Matt, who, if you see him almost every day, that man represents the No Label Defines Me brand. And he says, people come up and they say, isn't that ironic that you're wearing a shirt about no labels that's actually labeling right, you? Right, right. And the idea is labels are going to define you if you are listening to this and you are a human. The point about no label defines me is you have the power to choose which ones you wear at any given time. Because as a human being, we need labels. We need those definitions, whether they're right or wrong, because they give us structure and they help us actually navigate the world. Right. Um, So they're going to exist regardless. The idea is you having your own dictionary of what your labels mean to you. And if somebody places one on you that you don't identify with, just peel it away and throw it in the trash. Yeah. Well, it's like you chose the muscle motivator as a label to mm-hmm. help define you because it felt right to who it is that you are because it was what you were doing and yeah. And how you feel about yourself. Yeah. So I love that. I think that is really a really powerful tool for our listeners to use and say, "Uh, no, mm, I don't like that label. I'm not going to let that one define me, but I do like the idea that I'm a muscle motivator. And not even the idea, but that I am a muscle motivator. That's a healthy label for me to take into my life and use it to serve me. Yeah. And uh, with the work that I've been doing, what I can tell you is majority of people, people with disabilities and people without disabilities, uh, the majority of labels that stand in in our way, because it stood in my way before, are the ones where you think you are not good enough. That's a label that crushes a lot of people taking action. The idea that they're walking around and I'm not good enough, it's almost even more powerful than, than a, a label, right? It's almost like a tattoo, that they're wearing and i think it it's been a hundred percent anybody i've got a a survey that people can take that talks about what they're going through and and how they feel about themselves a hundred percent every time Uh, the thing that they say holds them back is the idea that they're not qualified and they're not good enough every time Mm -hmm. which is such an interesting topic. And I talk a little bit about this in my previous episode. Um, When it comes to society, culture, and religion, this carries into my next question because I want to talk more about the labels placed on people through society, culture, and I will add religion because I, 
I, I have found that there are so many people where there's this idea of performance-based, and if you don't meet uh, the, the certain criteria or check all the boxes, you're not good enough. So like, mm-hmm. what is the root of that, which I have an idea and my belief, but um, we'll have to go into that on another episode. <laughs> but you... <laughs> We're already, we got three more episodes to go, two more episodes already. Um, you realized in coaching people with disabilities that it wasn't a disability issue people were facing. It was a human issue. So you're kind of saying that a little bit already and explaining that. But can you go deeper? Like, what do you mean by a human issue? Is it just the society and the culture and those sorts of environments that people are in? Yeah, so I say it's a human issue. Because I think the world, oftentimes, it can feel like we're trying to navigate the world without a GPS. We're trying to navigate it like it's back. Uh, For me, I'll just use my age as a thing. But in the 90s, I remember going on (laughs) road trips to see my grandparents in Iowa. And I remember my parents using the map to (laughs) to go like and now I think back and I'm like how did we navigate without GPS like if you had to ask me how to use a map right now I'd be in trouble but I think that we're in a world where it can feel like we don't have a GPS and we don't know how to move forward we don't know how to navigate and it's because all the stories of those boxes whether it's religion whether it's like socioeconomic whether it's culturally all of the different facets of life have different expectations and we expect to live up to some some criteria but the the question is do we ever take the time to set our own expectations for ourselves and i'll speak specifically um through the lens of disability here because it's the easiest one for me to be able to talk about the expectation of living with the disability from my experience of working with people for nine years is that we are not expected to do much of anything. We are expected to be on social security. Uh, We are expected, I would say, not to work. And (laughs) here's a good example. One of the best things about going to the grocery store (laughs) is you'll get a lot of people, if you just happen to be uh, hit the parking lot at the right time and you're walking in with somebody, a lot of times I would get, hey, it's good to see you out. Hmm. Um, Because I have a family member who's got a disability too, and they're not going to the store. Mm, This is people that... Uh, you know or knew you or just anybody no these are just random strangers that's the beautiful thing about having having a disability (laughs) it it 
allows for people's like you get the people who are scared to come up and talk to you, but then you get the random people who are like, wow, I, I don't see this a lot. So let me tell this person, hey, it's good to see you out. That's another thing that could, you could take to be something like, well, what do you mean? It's good to see me out. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to just live in, in my house and never leave? Uh, but I realized that that question was an opportunity to have a conversation. And that is what's going to shift any paradigm about any label, about any expectation, is having a conversation and being willing to not be offended when someone doesn't understand your particular point of view because they haven't seen it before. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And I want to challenge this just a little bit because when we're talking about a GPS and and navigating without a GPS, but the story of your parents using the map, I would challenge it by saying, well, what is your map? And for me and my work, I believe the map is our soul. And we become disconnected from it. And that deepest aspect mm-hmm. of who it is that we are is the navigator. So we become dependent on the expectations or the labels and all these things. And like you said, well, what are we expecting of ourselves? What is that deeper part of who it is that we are, right? That is saying, this is what I need. Are yeah. we paying attention to that? Are we using that as our map to guide us? in life and you know what I believe and have found in my work and working with people as well and in my own experiences is that we don't we don't use that but we have to become reconnected with it no so this made me think of this but I think sometimes if you guys are office fans at all it can be like that time when Michael and uh, Dwight were making a, a sales visit and they're using the GPS and they follow it. They follow it blindly and they go into, <laughs> they turn into the lake just because all they were doing was listening to the outside thing telling right. them what to do. Right. And he's like, no, but there's, there's a lake right there. Don't turn. <laughs> and he just says, no, but it's, that's what it's telling me to do. And they end up in the water and, <laughs> Uh, I think a lot of times we can we can end up in the water right because we don't necessarily believe what we actually know inside right, of us to right. be true. Right, we're not listening to our inner voice and ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that, Nathan. In your belief uh, to adaptation and action in order to live a no label defines me life. What are you adapting to? What are you taking action on? What am I adapting to? So right now, specifically for me, it's the idea of being a business owner <laughs> and being an entrepreneur. Right. Um, and when I talk about not putting a lot of pressure on on results, here here's one 
application where I can show you that for me, when I did that, I didn't get the result that I wanted for sure. So back in January, so almost, almost a whole year, year ago, right? That's crazy to even think about that. We're in November right now. I created a course Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh man, this is going to be so good. It's going to be the thing that people are going to be able to do it self-paced. It's going to be like coaching with me without having to get on the phone with me. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be what people need. Guess how many people bought that course? (laughs) Well, you tell me. (laughs) Zero. Yeah, right. Zero people bought the course. And guess what? Does that mean that that course wasn't valuable? No, I think that's the story. Right. Even when we don't get the results that we think we're going to get, it doesn't mean that what you did is Sucked. not valuable. Right. It it means that it was great. It was a step in the process because that has guided you to other programs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if you're sitting there and you're like, I've done all this stuff and I haven't got the result that I want yet, maybe it's time to let go of wanting that to be the result. Sure. And just be present and look look at what I created. Look at what I did. What did I learn in the process? Mm-hmm. What can I then apply for future things that I create right. and make it even better? It's It's like the analogy of learning to walk. So for me, it took me four years to even do that. And nobody ever told me to give up on that being a thing. So sometimes you just got to keep hitting the pavement and saying, okay, is it time for me to get back up now? Let me, let me get some Neosporin and some Band-Aids and let me patch up and go at it again. How can I look at it differently? What are people... Uh, Like, I don't know what everybody's up to, but what do you notice in your friends and your family that they are struggling with? Mm -hmm. What are they struggling with and how can your experience of what you've been through support them in working through their struggle. And I guarantee you that will help you work through your struggle. Yeah, absolutely. I've experienced that in my own life and going through a divorce and uh, the challenges that I faced in that and coming out on the other side, just so happy, happier than I have ever, ever been. And I remember going through a time where I was, I thought, gosh, (laughs) this is so frustrating. And I was, uh, I just couldn't stand it. Right. But then you later on realize that it was all part of the process. It was Mm -hmm. going through some of those challenges to come out on, on the other end, feeling happier and learning from it. And that is part of my work too, is just realizing that the experiences that we have, it is our choice and our willingness to take what it is that we've experienced and 
adapt and then taking action and choosing to let it uh, be a, a tool in our lives to move ourselves forward. And I, one of the other things that I always say is your adversity is your greatest advantage. It's going to be the thing that provides you the, the most opportunity for actual human connection. That's right. But only if we choose that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is up to us to choose, or the universe will keep kind of stepping in. <laughs> <laughs> It'll keep knocking you on your butt until you're like, oh, maybe this is what I'm supposed to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You guys, this is the end of part one of my interview with Nathan Todd. The second part of this interview will be coming out soon, so I would encourage you to hit subscribe so you don't miss out on it. We will be talking more about eradicating loneliness and Nathan's work today, what it is he does and his thoughts and perspectives on loneliness. And I want to also ask you, do you have a story that you'd like to share? Are you making a positive impact in other people's lives through the work that you do? I'd love for you to be a guest on my podcast. I would also love to hear your feedback and know how my content resonates with you or if you have any topics of discussion that you'd like for me to bring in that would be helpful to you and in your life, please feel free to share. Go ahead and hit subscribe, leave a review. Your support means a lot to me, and I appreciate you being here today. For show notes on today's episode, you can visit theheroicsoul.com. To stay more connected, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at The Heroic Soul. Now is the time for you to break free and reclaim your life, to becoming your own hero and living the life you deserve to live.